Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Quigs, I have an important question for you. What's a better nut shot? What Tony D'Angelo dished out to Corey Perry, or Chuck Fletcher's trade deadline in action? It's apples and oranges, Steve. You can't possibly, you can't choose between two of the greatest things that have ever happened in Philadelphia Flyers history like that. I mean, they both deserve (laughs) their own. They're all ball-shaped at the end of the day. (laughs) They both deserve their own plaque in the, uh, what what is it, the assembly room? Is that what, what do they even have in the assembly room? I don't. Oh, the assembly room is, it's a standing room area. It's got leather couches and fireplaces and hipster Ben Franklin paintings and a bar. And it's a weird place to watch a hockey game. Okay. I thought, I just assumed that the assembly room had a bunch of like flyers, like, you know, plaques and awards and shit that flyers players have gotten over the years. And no, if anything, it, it, it looks like a place where old white men meet and smoke cigars and drink scotch and discuss money. Oh, ew. <laughs> I mean, That's you know, my kind of I don't, I don't particularly like the, uh, the cigar part of it, but like, I like a nice leather couch. It is a weird place to watch a hockey game though. I bet it is. Yeah. It sounds like it would be uh, I don't, I don't know. Like I would rather not first things first standing room anywhere. I don't care what it is. It sucks. I'm not a standing room guy. Oh, no, no. See, you're not a baseball guy. Standing room at Citizens Bank Park is actually great. Perhaps it is. I've but that's the exception. standing room there. Yeah. I do standing room almost, not every time I go, but a lot of the times I go to Citizens Bank Park and I'll do the standing room experience. And I have right. some cherished memories standing at that stadium. But, you know, I did standing room at... Chicago Stadium, a United Center, and it was abysmal. Oh, was it that bad? It was horrible. I barely saw the game that I paid a lot of money to see. Were there, like, beams in the way? Well, there were beams. Well, the problem is, like, when you do a proper standing room area, you have to make sure that 
the standing room, the designated standing room area is elevated above the seats so that, you know, people might be able to stand in your way, but they won't be able to be in your way when they're sitting. And this was like either at or below seat level. So you pretty much had to like jump over to see anything. Ew. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't sound great. No, it was terrible. I would not recommend if you ever see a Chicago hockey game, do not get the standing room tickets. It was uh, just an, an abysmal, abysmal experience. But and now is not a time to see a Chicago game. It's never been a time to see that team. <laughs> but especially now because they they sold off they Patrick suck. Kane, Jonathan Taves is yeah, but they're doing a tank. You know, it must be nice to do a tank properly. I would love that. Too bad the Flyers will never do it. Never, ever going to do that. And we'll, we'll actually, that's among the topics for today is just that whole mess over there. But I'd like to get back to the heart of the issue here. And that would be Tony D's nuts Angelo over here, who suspended two games for spearing maybe one of the most infamous players in the NHL, a noted jerk, apparently one of the least liked players in the NHL, Corey Perry. And... If you had to think about, like, what's the best of both worlds, it's Corey Perry getting hurt and Tony D'Angelo getting suspended for two games so we don't have to watch that just every night. And I I love that his suspension was two games, one for each nut. One for each nut. Or or as Kurt said on Twitter, he predicted that he was going to be suspended for three games minus one game for hurting Corey Perry, which ended up being true. Kind of. That I'm sure that's math. not why they give him two games, but... Listen, Kurt Kurt R., he knows the hockey sciences. That's why he has a doctorate in them. He does. Yeah, Dr. Kurt R. Dr. Kurt R., PhD of hockey. Yes. The <laughs> yeah. So stuff. you know how they, they call him Doc Emmerich because he's the doctor of hockey? Actually... Doc Emmerich? Doc R. is his name. Doc R.? No longer Kurt. It's now Doc R. Doc R. Okay. Now he sounds just like a mysterious internet presence. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Now it sounds like a a weird thing from Guess Who or something. (laughs) Doc R. Um, The mysterious Doc R. What will be? What will he do next? But let me say this about Tony. After after you, I would love to hear. Yeah. I was just going to say like Corey Perry is not a bad guy. Tony D'Angelo, we have evidence, tangible evidence that he's probably not a great guy. So, like, I'll give him that. I'll say that. He might not be a nice man on the ice, but. You could ask, I mean, you could ask Torts. I'm sure I'll defend him all day because, like, Torts even defended him on this nut shot. It's like, he speared a guy in the balls, Torts. If there's one time to not defend a hockey play, it's spearing somebody in the balls. Not, not a great, yeah. I... Torts is always going to support his guys, but at that point, it's but like, does yeah, he? what are you doing? But does he always support his guys? Well, the, the guys just, he like, Does he wake up every day and have a new list of guys? Sometimes it feels that way. It's a mysterious mind that I don't try to understand. I, I mean, very few people understand it. Torts has one of those... He just has like he has a, he's one of the most interesting people in hockey. And like honestly people could just diag- or diagnose people could just dissect 
all of his comments over the years and like try and come up with rhyme or reason and you just can't do it like sometimes he just says stuff and that's just how he is he just says stuff and that's how he is okay that's that's a way to live right there that is a way to live but Corey perry brings me to a tweet from the other day where our dear friend Eamon came in and gave us an updated uh, flyperbole war criminal list, okay? And if you hear the term war criminal, I use that, uh, you, I usually use that in regards to Scott Stevens, who is a noted war criminal. He just locked him up, destroyed hockey, destroyed my favorite player, Eric Lindros. Scott Stevens, absolutely the number one flyperbole war criminal with a bullet. But... He, he had Corey Perry on this list. I'm not sure he's a war criminal per se, but, you know, we all know he's a noted jerk right there. But Definitely not. I, I would probably put I'd probably put TDA in the war criminal list before Corey Perry, to be honest with you. And Eamon put his fire alarm on there, which if uh, you had listened to those episodes when Eamon was co-hosting for a bit, his fire alarm was a menace. And it was maybe the loudest, most annoying fire alarm I've ever heard. I don't think I heard that episode, but I've heard the stories. Yes, it was. It was not pleasant. And then he had to evacuate his building. And then it, it just it's something that just threw the podcast into a, a total loop. It was basically like flipping a table over on us. That would that would I mean, that deserves to be a warm criminal. I mean, it should be in the war criminal list, I think. Absolutely deserves to be on the war criminal list. And then one, the newest addition to the war criminal list is you, Ryan Quigley. You have it's me. the war criminal list. It's me. Hi. You're the problem. It's you. And it's because last week, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, Quiggs had a startling revelation that his favorite beverage to go with pizza is not a, a glass of red wine. It's not an ice cold Coca-Cola. It's not even a glass of water. It is a tall glass of orange juice, which is... Quigs, it's still startling to me. This just... It, it, I, it would be the last thing I would think of to go with pizza. You can't knock it till you try it. And Steve, you tried it. And it was I delightful, did try it. wasn't it? It was not. I... <laughs> Because I was so curious, like, I, this was such an insane thing to me. I it just, again, the last thing I would ever think to pair a pizza. I said, I gotta see what this man sees with this. So we ordered a, a nice big pizza pie on Friday night. Pizza pie! And the pizza was delicious. But the OJ was so weird with it. Like, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was bad, but it wasn't good. Like, it, wasn't it bad. was just kind of like... I, I I wouldn't say like I was expecting it to be putrid, so I'm kind of putting that to my lowered expectations here. I was expecting this to be a vile combination, much like orange juice and toothpaste, but it was it was just kind of like two very different flavors that just didn't go together. And I have no idea what you see in this, my guy. Like it's not complimentary to the pizza. And as a few people pointed out online, an absolute acid reflux nightmare. You better believe I pepsi it up before I took this. Uh, so I did it. I did it. I, I just, I don't see what you see in it. I, these flavors did not go together. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't do that combination every time I have pizza, but I'll do it sometimes. And when I do, I don't regret it ever. I did, I did not I did not care for it. It was not like I didn't like 
I wasn't spitting it out in disgust, but I didn't like it either. So it was quite an experience, I tell you. I wouldn't recommend it, folks. Zero, I, one out of ten stars I'll give it because I didn't spit it out. But Quiggs apparently gives you the recommendation. I say, absolutely not. So you're staying on the work criminal list for now until we forget about this, if we ever do. Fine, Steve. Be that way. <laughs> I will. I will be that way. But regardless, you're not actually the biggest war criminal this week. The biggest war criminal this week has to be Chucky Two Trades himself. Chucky Poo Trades, Chuck Fletcher, who, you know, we talked about the inaction going into the trade deadline saying, like, there's no way he doesn't do anything. And I guess you could say he technically didn't do nothing, but... Man, he did the closest thing to nothing he could have done, and I'm sure you're all brutally aware of how the trade deadline worked out. But trade, so Chuck Fletcher during trade deadline week, what did he do? He traded Isaac Ratcliffe to the Nashville Predators for future considerations. My favorite player, future considerations, blockbuster. And then for some reason, he traded away fan favorite Zach McEwen, Mad Man McEwen, Big Mac himself to the Los Angeles Kings for a fifth-round pick and Brendan fucking Lemieux. Now, let me say this. If it was just McEwen for a fifth, I wouldn't hate that trade. I really no. would. Like, I like McEwen, and, like, I wish he was on the Flyers instead of some of these other people who are currently on the Flyers. But, like, when you trade him and you get a fifth out of that, that's pretty good, especially considering he was a waiver claim. Like, that's not bad at all. My thing is, when you get Brendan Lemieux back, that, in the words of Chuck Fletcher, he said that Rob Blake, the Kings GM, was like, well, I need to do something with Brendan Lemieux, like, because we can't take McEwen until we do something with Lemieux. And then he's like, oh, I'll just take Lemieux and make it easier for you. It's like, No. You don't do favors for other general managers. That's what drives me crazy about that trade. McEwen for a fifth, I'm totally cool with it. McEwen for a fifth and doing a favor for a GM by taking one of his players that he doesn't just simply doesn't want and no one really wants, that's something I got a problem with. Like, if you have to clear room to trade JVR and you're getting like a third or a second, right? I understand that move, right? I, I totally get it in that scenario. But for Brendan Lemieux, Zach McEwen, and a fifth, this is some fuzzy-ass math right here. And there's no yeah. reason to do a GM of solid here. There's no reason to do him a favor unless you're going to bank that for another day. And I don't see Chucky Two Trades doing that. And why can he figure out this math here, but he can't do it with James Van Riemsdyk? I just simply don't understand it. And to just take on who is another problematic player, Brendan Lemieux, he's bros with Tony D'Angelo, and there's a reason they're best friends, same problems, and who's not even a good hockey player. This is not a guy worth having on your team. And Zach McEwen at least was fun. He had the flow. He had the stash. Yeah. He beat the shit out of guys. I like Zach McEwen, okay? Again, I would trade him for a fifth and a heartbeat, no doubt about it, but Zach McEwen at least was somebody fun to watch on the ice. I don't want to watch fucking Brennan Lemieux every night. Right. Yeah, and Zach McEwen was fun. Like, sometimes... Don't get me wrong. He wasn't like some you know, unbelievably skilled, like, incredible player who would knock your socks off. Like, that's just not who he was. He was very much a fourth liner. But every once in a while, Zach McEwen would do something where you're just like, whoa, that was awesome. You know what I mean? And, like, you're probably sure. not going to get that from Brendan Lemieux. Like, probably ever. 
No, you're not. And I, I mean, granted, he is an expiring contract, so it's like, in a lot of respects, who gives a shit? Although, with Chuck, it's always a, a terrifying notion of will he re-sign him. That's the thing. Would it shock you at all if he re-signed with the Flyers? No, nothing would shock me at this point except for a good hockey move because this guy is incapable <laughs> of doing it. The entire front office, whoever is pulling the strings over there, they're all incapable of it, okay? They're not capable of it. So McEwen to the Kings for fifth rounder and Brennan Lemieux. And then the only other Chuck trade that Chuck Fletcher made, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Braun. It wasn't Van Riemsdyk. It wasn't Sealer. It wasn't Hayes. It wasn't Provorov. He traded Patrick fucking Brown to the Ottawa Senators for a sixth round pick, which is a fine move. Granted, they got Patrick Brown on waivers for nothing. He's not really anything to write home about, but these are the only moves he made. He didn't sell any of those guys we just talked about. None of the guys we've been talking about for months. He didn't do anything. And then the defense was all, well, I tried. I made 17 calls. Like, did he go onto his iPhone and count the number of calls? Like, that's going to impress us? Oh, you called half the league almost exactly. whoopity doo Yeah. Like, my thing is that Tuesday, three days before the trade deadline... Chuck came out and said, yes, we're going to be sellers. And he laid out a whole thing of like, here's what I want. I want to get, I want to get younger. I want to get, I want to acquire draft capital, whether it's picks. So I, I want to get prospects, like whatever. I want to get younger and I want to start thinking about the future now. And for him thinking about like building for the future and getting future assets equals a fifth and a sixth round pick. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys! It's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hidden. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. 
New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. That's what that is. And it's like, it, it was just such a colossal failure on so many different levels. Um, and it just, we talked about this ad nauseum on the reaction show, but like, it just proves that he can't, he, he just doesn't negotiate. And like, that's another problem with the whole uh, t- taking Brendan Lemieux to make it easier for the other GM. Like, like, no, you like any other GM would probably not take that on. But he did because he's a nice guy. And it's cool to be a nice guy. You want everyone to be a nice person. But like when you're a GM, you want to be you want to make the other the other GM look like a complete fool, like Howie Roseman does for the Eagles. And Chuck Fletcher is just not that guy. He's the guy that makes he's the guy that looks like a excuse me. He's the guy that looks like a fool when he's involved with the trades. So it's like he's on the opposite end of the coin and it's just it's it's really frustrating. It's just it's clear that he's unfit for this position at this time. It is clear. He is a terrible terrible salesman. He's Jack Lemon in Glengarry Glen Ross. You know, Alec Baldwin's going to come in and tell him the coffee's for closers. He can't have any fucking coffee. Get out, you're fired. I would love if Alec Baldwin would come in and do that. That would be fantastic. But nobody's going to do that. And that's because and we're going to get into this in a couple minutes. The old guard seems to love him because he's like best friends with them and everything. Oh, he's a nice guy. I keep hearing about how nice Chuck Fletcher is. He's a nice guy. Tron Tortorella's up there going, oh, he tried. Chuck did everything he could. Blah, blah, blah. Like, so many fucking excuses that you would never give to a player, okay? Like, John Tortorella would never, ever say about the player, well, he tried. No, that's not fucking good enough. You need guys to execute. You need people to do their damn jobs. Chuck Fletcher hasn't done his job for years at this point. As we said on that live show, the last time we had any confidence in Chuck Fletcher was immediately after we heard about that Ryan Ellis trade. Before we knew Ryan Ellis was just, you know, apparently just broken, completely broken. That seemed like a great trade at the time. And you know what? I'd still make that trade, roll the dice, because you didn't really give up much. But man... He's just not aggressive enough. He's not savvy enough. Kelly was telling us about the season ticket holder town hall and that Briere's trying to teach him how to use this app. And it sounds like he's trying to teach his uncle how to use an iPad. Like, oh, where does this go? How does this work? This doohickey? Like, this guy is not your solution. He's not a fresh voice who's going to figure out how to work in the modern NHL. And it's not like he fucking did it with Minnesota, right? It's not like he went in and won a bunch of Stanley Cups with Minnesota. No, no, he got fired from that job for sucking too. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and that's the thing, like he's never made it to like, he's never made it deep in the playoffs. He's never done anything of significant value as an NHL GM. I remember he got Ryan Suter and he got, um, uh, God, Zach Parise. Uh, Ryan, Zach Parise, and that and was like, that was ownership dictated. He do that, yes. And but even those moves turned out to be not so great for the Wild. Like they got locked into those deals, and now they're dealing with cap recapture penalties. And it's just like, and now granted, he couldn't have predicted that being the case, but like still, like his moves for the Wild still haunt them now. And for years, the Wild were just a middling average franchise and they're to this point the best player in minnesota wild history 
Well, honestly, I think you could make a case for Kaprizov right now. Like right I now, I think he's right now, but prior to Kaprizov. But prior to him, Miko Koivu is the best player in franchise history. And it's just like, are you That's kidding a real me? Chuck Fletcher guy right there. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Koivu was a nice little player. Good player. Good 200 foot guy. I think he was in the running for Selkies. Like, I don't care. He shouldn't be the best player in a franchise's history. If he is, that means that the franchise is run poorly and that the personnel department is run poorly. And guess who was in charge of the personnel for a long time in Minnesota? Chuck Fletcher. So it's not great. These are guys who don't take swings. These are guys who don't take chances on talent. Okay. Like it just look at the acquisitions, right? Like again, Ryan Ellis is probably the only big swing they really took talent wise because like Kevin Hayes, for instance, Kevin Hayes was a pretty safe signing. At least he seemed so at the time he was supposed to be a second line center. You know, he was supposed to be a two way guy who come in, support Katoria and Giroux and all that. And that was his like biggest splash for a while. And then Ristolainen, that was a swing, but that was a real bad swing. That was a huge whiff. And Anybody with any knowledge of advanced stats, even just anybody who had watched him in Buffalo could have told you, not worth your time. And he didn't listen. And not only did he trade some very valuable draft capital for the guy, he then re-signed him to a ridiculous deal that we're going to be paying for for a couple years now. And I just don't know how you can continue going on with this guy. And he's not the only problem. And we've been saying this on BSH Radio for a couple of years now. The problem is you have so many Broad Street bullies in that front office still as senior advisors. And there's too many cooks in this kitchen. Like, they all mm-hmm. complained a ton when Hextall was in there about him locking doors and keeping people out. That was the smartest yeah. thing Ron Hextall did was lock those doors and keep them out. Because you... I'm sorry. What worked in 1975 is not working in modern hockey. Even what worked in 1996 when Bob Clark was a big time GM and everything doesn't work today. It's a completely different game. We need people who aren't in their 60s and 70s running this hockey club. It's just, it's insane to me the power that these guys have. And you can't say exactly who is in charge of it. But I mean, look, you know, Paul Holmgren's still around. You know, Bob Clark's still around. Bill Barber. There are some big time old school names up there and they're all together between them and Chuck Fletcher. They're all calling the shots here and the results are terrible. This is a rudderless team there. This team is going nowhere. It's been going nowhere and it needs to scrap and start over and they're just not going to do it. And it fucking sucks. Yeah, no, it's horrible. And then you just, you consider the fact that, um, you know, like, Bob Clark failed as a GM. He got fired. Uh, Paul Holmgren failed as a GM. He got fired. Or, or did he technically get just... I think he got promoted. He sidestepped to the... Well, he say promoted, but he was kind of shuffled off to the presidency yeah, yeah. there. And the president of the club still has a say in everything. But, you know, it was it was a, a demotion through promotion, if you will. Right, uh, right. Just kind of a strange move. But it's a very much the flyer way. And... There was a very interesting conversation with uh, from Jeff Merrick on his podcast earlier about all of this. And you're seeing more and more reports about just kind of the situation in the front office, which, you know, aligns with what we've been saying for a while now. And I'm not going to read this whole Jeff Merrick thing. If you want to listen, the last episode of the Jeff Merrick show, it's about the 37-minute mark. He talks about this for a while. But there were some interesting comments that I did want to highlight here 
And basically, you know, number one, Jeff Merrick seemed legitimately kind of shocked at how pissed off we are at the situation. And he sounded a lot more optimistic than than I do and Flyers fans in general. The national perspective is interesting on this, but it's like they're just finding out just how bad things are and how pissed off we are. And they're kind of a little shocked. It's like, yes, things are bad. But the most interesting thing to me was, you know, them saying like, well, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen here. You know, there's a lot of voices and they're asking, is he making all these moves on his, on his own? Are all the signings really his? I don't know the answer to that, but I do know there are a lot of powerful consultants that are ex-NHLers, many of whom have been general managers in the NHL. Uh, if you don't know if it's, I just don't know if it's that simple as you get rid of Chuck Fletcher and you solve, <laughs> we know that you just get rid of Chuck Fletcher and you solve all the problems. But the other thing that his uh, producer, Matt, had come in and said is the Philadelphia Flyers are unlike a lot of organizations in that there are former players that were also GMs that have been involved. Maybe they were coaches, have a lot of influence in that organization, whereas I just don't see that a lot in other organizations. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but the Philadelphia Flyers seem very unique in that respect. And they, they talked a little bit more about, like, they brought up, like, Johnny G and everything, uh, saying, like, well, is it because he doesn't fit, fit that tough flyers mold or is it because, you know, he didn't fit the timeline? I find the timeline thing very bullshitty because Columbus signed him and their timeline is the same as ours. Who knows when yeah. the fuck they're going to be good. But I don't want to open up that discussion again because I've complained a ton about Johnny Gaudreau on here and I'm fucking sick and tired of it just because the situation pisses me off. He should be a Philadelphia Flyer. Everybody in the Delaware Valley that's a Flyers fan should own a Johnny Gaudreau Flyers jersey right now. But I digress. But talking about just how many voices there are in the room, questioning who made that decision, this is a big problem in my regard. Like, I I think that you really need a clear voice on leading the ship on how to move forward, okay? And because there's no Ed Snyder, there's not a clear leader here. And then you've got this kind of like shadowy cabal of GMs over here. <laughs> Bill Barber, former coach, Paul Holmgren and Bob Clark, former GMs of the Flyers. You know, these, these guys are not, <laughs> these are all strong personalities. Okay. These are not people that are shying away from having their voice be heard here. And it's just, it, the team is a mess and it kind of shows through what we're hearing about the front office. Yeah. No, it's, it's terrible. And like the only other team, like he's got a point. What other franchise does have this many alumni in the front office? Like the only one I can think, I mean, you got Iserman with the Red Wings, but he's good at what he does. You got Sackick with Avalanche. And Iserman had been through the ringer with uh, Tampa Bay for a while. Yeah. yeah, Iserman was like a proven commodity coming home to Detroit. Sackick has just been, he's just been a happy surprise for them. He's worked out great. And that's the closest comparison I would think. Yeah. And I don't know. Like it's just, you should start sounding some alarms when like this is a unique thing to the flyers and the flyers are so poorly mismanaged. It's just like, huh, no one else is this poorly is, is this incompetent. And the Flyers are the only franchise that have all these alumni around. Huh? That can't be the problem. And it's like, (laughs) it has to be the problem. Like you have these old guys who grew up in an era completely different from the era we're in now. And they think that those 
things that make a hockey player good back then are still good. And it's like, no, it's not at all. And that's, that lies the main issue here. And now, could it be that this really is just all Chuck Fletcher's doing and he's, he's just been that bad and he actually thinks bad players are good and whatnot? Like, could it be that it's all him? Could be, but I have a hard time believing it's just him. Like, there's more to it than just Fletcher being bad at his job. It's a multitude of be- people being bad at their job. It just stinks of too many different opinions, too many different directions, because you look at the acquisitions, right? And there's not a consistency. There's not a rhyme or reason. Well, maybe the consistency is generally big bodies, right? But like, which skews with the older generation size wins, right? But it really does seem like there's just a lot of different voices. One of the interesting things that Marek said in this podcast is as a manager now in the NHL, you need to be able to manage upwards. You need to be able to manage the people above you. Once upon a time, managers would essentially see the people above them at Christmas. And at the end of the season, that was it. Other than that, they had their budget, they had their money and that was it. They had full autonomy over making moves. So it's not that way anymore. You have to listen to all the voices unless you're Ron Hextall and you lock the doors and that's not Chuck Fletcher's style. Like Chuck Fletcher is a guy who goes way back with these guys. Like he's, he's not locking them out. He's clearly been listening to them and they're all there. And it's just, I, not only do you need to get younger and you need to get more with the times and you need to get more, you need to get more analytical. Okay. Like yeah. say what you will about the nerds and all that, but there you need to adapt. Look at Carolina. We talk about Dr. T a lot on here. Eric Tulski, right? Former BSH right there. And, you look at what Carolina does without a ton of big names. Like Carolina's got very good players. Don't get me wrong, but they don't have superstars there. And they do this through, they, they are the successful money ball, right? Yes. Not even the Oakland A's were successful money ball. Carolina hurricanes are a money ball team. They are a money puck team. They are a smartly built team that takes risks on the right players. They do the analysis. They are very smartly built. Whereas, you have the Flyers, who are just a mess. There's not a clear direction. There's not consistency in who they sign to what deals and what trades they make. And just the inaction from Chuck Fletcher. Why are we mad again? Is a question you might be asking if you listened to the podcast last week, right? Why are you mad? You kind of know who Chuck Fletcher is. Well, I'm, I'm mad because, like, I expect some bare minimum stuff done. I expect JVR to get traded. He's an expiring contract. I I hope they're not re-signing him because that is not a good move for the future of this That just JVR feels like such a move. That just feels like it's almost destined to happen. You know, I like, wouldn't be shocked at this point. I no. really wouldn't. And what you you he's that's the kind of move you can't make anymore because you got to play smarter. Okay, you got to work smarter here. And they're not. It, it just feels rudderless. Like if you're a national media person we've been seeing rudderless hockey for years now. Okay. And there was one shining moment that right before COVID, right. When the flyers were crushing it, then COVID happened. But even then coming out of the bubble, right. Or into the bubble, right. They, they had a chance to really go far and they couldn't beat the New York Islanders. They couldn't figure them out to save their life. And they've never been the same since then. And that was a drop in the bucket because they were garbage before before that 2019-2020 season, you know? And just 
watching this rudderlessness and watching them just not be able to do basic competent moves. Like Chuck clearly waited until the last minute to try and get as much for JVR as he could. And he overestimated how much teams would be willing to pay for him. Like there's a certain point where you just have to admit, I'm only going to get a fourth round pick for this guy. And that's okay. Cause you have to get something like, I really firmly believe that, a better salesman, a better GM would have been able to get like a weird conditional second for JVR, right? Yes. I, I think the third, yeah. what Charlie said, Charlie said a third from the beginning. And I think Charlie's assessment was right. But if you're a good GM, you're a good salesman, you can fleece somebody to get that second. But Chuck's not that. And he couldn't even get a fourth. He couldn't get a fifth. I would have taken a fifth. Just uh, some sort of asset for this expiring contract. And Here's the thing, though. Like, if the Flyers did... Let's pretend he did trade JVR for a fifth. The fan base still would have lost their shit. Like, they still would have lost their minds. Oh, I I I would have been irritated. But this feels worse. Because they keep telling me he tried. Which pisses me off. You don't try. If you're a GM, you don't try. You do. Like it's Yoda. That's (laughs) it's true. There is no try. You have to make shit happen if you're going to be a GM. Like if there's something you should do and you kind of need to do in order to keep your ass out of hot water, you do that thing. And if it ends up going poorly, whatever. At least you actually did something to try and make the situation better. Chuck just kind of rolled over. It was like, ah, no one wants him. Guess, guess you can't move him. And it's like, yes, you can. Like, what are you talking about? You can clearly move JVR. It's just like, one, you might not get the return you want, but if you don't get the return you want, that doesn't mean you just don't move him and you just give up on getting assets. And also there's the possibility that you could, like you were saying, just be a better salesman, convince other teams why he's he would be important to them, and just be proactive. Like, it sounds, from all the reports that we're hearing, it sounds like he kind of, he being Chuck, kind of waited, like, until after a bunch of trades were made, and then then he started, you know, frantically making calls. And it's like, that's not that's not an effective way to be a GM. You need to be connected Every day to all G, maybe not all GMs, but like you need to be in the shit every single day, putting together any potential deal you can. And um, I'm just based off of his past history. I just don't think that's something that Chuck Fletcher is good at. You no, can't I convince me. What is he good at? That's what I want to know. Like. <laughs> Hextall at least could have cleared. You know what Hextall was good at? Hextall was good at clearing cap space. Now, he was what did great he at that. for? He wasn't good at capitalizing on clearing that space. He couldn't figure out who the fuck could play NHL hockey, but he's very right. good at clearing out the space. At least he has a strength. I'll Chuck say this, though. has like, no strength. When, they, when the Flyers hired Hextall, that was really, I remember, that was kind of his his mission. The point behind getting him was like, and he said it all the time, like, my point, my goal is to clear the cap um, so we can, you know, have more ability to bring in players in the future. Now, granted, the players that he signed ended up being not good, but he did he did accomplish his mission of clearing cap space. And I remember at one point, the Flyers were one of the best, were one of the most cap compliant teams in the NHL. Like, they had a ton of cap space. Um, and it, like, 
when it got to the point where it was clear that Hextall was no longer able to, he was no longer the person who the Flyers needed to. He could not get them to the next level. He couldn't. And they fired him. And now the Flyers are at a point where it's just like, okay, they're about to start. It sounds like they're starting to aim. They're starting to realize that like a, something resembling a rebuild must happen. And they didn't hire Chuck Fletcher to do the rebuild. Charlie has mentioned this many times on the podcast. Like that's not why Chuck Fletcher was hired. And with that being the case, it's like, huh, makes you wonder is, is he on his last leg? And like, now we're starting to hear reports of like, Chuck could be gone by the, like after the regular season, he could be gone before that. I don't think that'll happen because I feel like the flyers respect him so much that they're going to wait until after the regular season to do it. But, you might as well wait at this point too, because like, what else? Can yeah, you really. Like, what's, you can't yeah, make what's any more trades? On? So, like, whatever. Yeah. You know, he can. I, I, I mean, you can I make trades him here. You can make trades right now. How does it's that just, work? If you make it, so if you make a trade after the trade deadline, the player you trade, just or the player you acquire can't play in the playoffs. So if a player gets traded after the trade deadline, they are not able to play in the postseason. That's but why you see play all in the these... regular season. You can still trade somebody that can play for you in the regular season. I believe so. Yeah, this actually happened a few years ago. I believe it was the Panthers or someone. Someone traded for someone. I, I feel like a real fucking deadline. moron right now because I had no idea about this. I, I am certain of this. No, um, no, I, I, I saw, I saw a headline that I didn't have time to read the other day saying something about that because they were talking about Kevin Hayes rumors. With the Flyers and the Blue Jackets, I think the <laughs> apparently the Blue Jackets want to bring in one of Johnny Gaudreau's friends. Imagine that. Imagine you know having a guy who would be attractive to a player of Johnny Gaudreau's caliber. No, I'm not getting right. into it. That's a trap. It's a trap. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going <laughs> down that path. It's bad. It's bad. But going back to this this trade thing, like so, there he can still do damage. So yeah, fuck, get him out of there. Get him out of there tomorrow. Yeah. Now, but granted, they probably like, won't. I no mean, one makes trades like that. Like you never see nobody trades. trades. Yeah, yeah. But like, I don't want him here for a minute after the regular season is done. Not not one minute. Get out of the building. Pack your shit. You're out. Because I don't want him in charge of the draft. Okay, this is a huge draft. This draft is a big fucking deal, and I don't want his stink anywhere. Near any of this, okay? Thinking, well, no, he won't be Risto with this first I, round pick. There's no way he will be involved in this draft. I, I don't, hope so. I I don't see how he survives this because, like, now my the Flyers, expectations like, are so goddamn low for this franchise right now that we were talking about JVR being resigned, not being a, a surprise. It wouldn't surprise me if he was around for the draft because I just don't expect any them to ever do the right thing. So. The Flyers have known that the fan base has been disgruntled for a long time now. Now it's Just gotten look to at a the point... stands, dude. Like, look at the stands. They, I know. They're, they're finally showing a little bit in the stands with the empty seats. Like, on regular, like, non-Saturday games, if you look in the stands, it's usually pretty sparse anymore. I, I want it to be more sparse. Stop buying tickets this year, guys. The thing is, is they've known the fan base has been upset for a long time. This is by far the angriest and most hopeless and apathetic the fan base has ever been. And they they know, they have to know that if this continues, 
then it's only going to get worse. It's only like things are there. I mean, they're going to lose so much money. They're going to lose a ton of ticket revenue. They're going to lose so much from it. And um, I feel like that's, that's why like they have to at, at bare absolute bare minimum, Chuck Fletcher has to be removed from his position. That has to be the bare minimum and what optimally what should happen is like it's a total restructure of the front office. Um, and now that's I mean, that's wishful thinking. I don't know if that'll happen, but like I think the bare minimum thing they can do is Chuck Fle- is fire Chuck Fletcher. And like the, I think at this point, after this disaster of a trade deadline, he can't survive. If, if he survives, it's going to get so bad for the Flyers. Like it's just it'll be almost irreparable. If Chuck Fletcher's still a GM next year. I will be furious with you if you buy tickets to any games. You can't. It can't go on. We can't continue to do this. And they need to purge the front office of these senior advisors. And I'm sorry, guys. Like you've done some great things for the Philadelphia Flyers. Okay, Paul Holmgren, Bill Barber, as Bob players, Clark. yes. Well, and you know what? Bob Clark had some great moments as GMs. He had some of the worst moments in Flyers history as GM too. Uh, Bill Barber had a, a nice stint as coach before it wasn't nice. And Paul Holmgren made some great moves before he, you know, fizzled out like most GMs do. But their time is over. Let's move on. Let's all move on. Go fishing at the lake, guys. Every Canadian loves the lake. Go to the lake. Okay, go, to the go cottage. enjoy the lake. Go to the cottage, okay? Go enjoy retirement. Get away from the Philadelphia Flyers. Get some outside voices in here. For the love of God. I am totally fine bringing Danny... I, I liked a lot of what I heard about what Danny Breer has been doing behind the scenes with the Flyers, embracing more techno- technology and statistics and everything. I think Danny Breer is a good move, but it can't be your only move, okay? You really need to bring in some voices from outside. Like, one of the... Pe- so, it didn't work out for the Penguins, but I like that when they did bring Hextall in, they at least brought Brian Burke in to try and <laughs> Brian Burke's not the guy I would bring in for the record. <laughs> yeah. I, I love Brian Burke for being a character in the game and for his support as an ally of the LGBTQ plus community, but I don't love him as a hockey mind. He's not exactly my number one choice. So I like that they tried to balance out conservative Ron Hextall with wild card Brian Burke, but Maybe not that much of a difference there, disparity there, but like bring in some new voices. Uh, Dean Lombardi's another name. Dean Lombardi, been with, you know, affiliated with the Flyers in one way or the other forever, obviously with the Kings for a bit, but then brought back in house. Like another name, please find another hockey job, Dean Lombardi. Like we need some new names. We need some fresh blood in here desperately. Is it possible at all for the Flyers to like, scoop up Eric Tulski from Carolina. Is that a thing? Like, could they, could they approach him and say like, Hey, you want to be hired as manager? GM tomorrow? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like they absolutely could scoop him up, but they're not interested in that unless the new guy at the top of Comcast comes in and cleans house because Bob Clark's not doing that. Bill no. Barber's not okay in that. Paul Holmgren's not okay in that. Like this is not, this is the problem. You have a lot of vo- very powerful voices at the top and this is, I was talking about this in the Slack earlier. Like the Flyers used to be kind of renowned for taking care of their alumni, for, for being good to their alumni. And that's one of the things that was an issue for a lot of these guys under Hextall. But like 
it was a big deal for them for a while. We do right by our players. And it was a, you know, they used to get dunked on a lot in local media for, you know, always hiring former flyers for stuff. And yeah. for the most part, it wasn't, you know, the end of the world, mostly because Ed Snyder could buy his way at a lot of these problems, right? But then, like, they've struggled throughout the salary cap era. They've only been on top of their division a few times in the salary cap era. They never really adjusted properly. And they need to get outside voices at this point. It's just the long and short of it. They absolutely have to. And this has to be the absolute lowest point of having all your alumni in-house with powerful voices in the room. Yes. No, it has to be. Um, it's just like, and here's my thing, because this made me, th- when you said that uh, Bob Clark would never um, consider someone like Eric Tulsky, like why not though? Like, is it because he didn't play the game? And like, it's, it's like, my thing is this, are they watching other teams? Are they watching the playoffs and are they watching the Carolina Hurricanes play hockey? Because anyone who watches the Hurricanes play hockey would understand, like, wow, this team is so good. And, like, all the players, like, play the exact way you need to play to succeed in this, today's NHL. Like, are they not witnessing the same games that we're witnessing? And are they just thinking, like, oh, yeah, that team's not built, you know? Like, now, granted, I know the Hurricanes haven't exactly made it deep in the playoffs recently, and I feel like... If they are watching the Hurricanes, they're probably thinking, oh, they didn't make it deep. You know who did make it deep? The St. Louis Blues with uh, Joel Edmondson and Colton Pareko, and we need guys like that. And it's like, I don't think they're looking Colton. at the Islanders specifically. I think they're looking at the Islanders. Or the Islanders. Couple, you know, when the Islanders went on that deep, you know, they went deep into the playoffs with Two years size in a row. and stifling defense. Yeah. Like that's, like, that's the, the kind of stuff they're looking at. They they think, that, like, the old ways of the NHL win in the playoffs. And, like, what's the line about Risto? Just get him in the playoffs, right? Just wait till you see Risto in the playoffs. Which but, we still but here's the problem, though. Probably never will. Here's the problem, though. Like, they think that, like, the old way is how you win in the playoffs. But it's, n- like, don't get me wrong. I do think there is a place on every roster for, like, some guys that are big. But, like, I feel like the Flyers want every guy to be big and hit and, like, play this 200-foot. And it's like, dude, no. Like, you need to have balance. You need to have skill. You need to have some guys who are speedy. You need to have some guys who are really good at at passing the puck. Some guys who don't even want to touch other players. Like, um, it's just, like, look at Nicholas Backstrom. He's, like, I don't really see him. He's not... He's probably not the most physical guy, but then you have Alexander Ovechkin, who's a tank, and he just has a rocket of a shot. And then you have Tom Wilson, who's got skill, and he can beat the shit out of people. And it's just like, you need to have, there's a place for both those things. And I feel like the Flyers are just so dead set on, like, everyone has to be big and physical and and tough and gritty. And it's like, that's not what it takes to win now. You need to have some guys who are, who are speedier and skilled and... That's coincidentally what the Flyers are missing are guys like that. Like they have Konechny, they have Farabee, but they need more of that. Oh yeah, Joel Farabee, who the the coach was just ready to kill last night after, even though Tony D'Angelo like basically almost took a guy's nuts off, but he's like, no, Farabee and Sanheim, these are the problems here. And don't get me wrong. 
they didn't have good games. I, I understand, but like, uh, don't get me started on torts. I, I can't go on a torts rant right now by all things. But getting back to the front office, like, yes, they're stuck in their ways. They're not willing to change. Not a lot of 70-year-old men change their ways all of a sudden. They don't really adapt well to new conditions. So, yeah, like, just, you just gotta say, thanks for your service. We really appreciate you. We'll see you at the next alumni game. Right, yeah. Like, they just have to understand that they their fingerprints can't be on this team anymore. It can be on the history of the team, and it will be on the history of the team forever. But in terms of the team right now, today, they can't be involved. And I'm hoping that this offseason is kind of the come-to-Jesus moment where those guys are told, like, yeah, you need to – your opinions are trash. Like, stay away from the team and the personnel. Like – you can come to the alumni events, but you should not have any say on who the team drafts or who they pick up in free agency or trades or anything like that. Assertive new voices, and you need somebody to be a clear leader here. You can't have a Chuck Fletcher who's got a Bob Clark sort of Damocles over his head at all times telling him, well, are you sure you want to do that when you could have this guy that I recommend? Like, I, 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 we don't know the exact, we don't know who's making what decision. We don't know how much say these guys have, but we do know these guys have a strong voice. Okay. We just don't know what percentage is Chuck, what percentage is what, but it seems like the best thing is to just move on. Everybody move on. And I, I really hope the, the lowered attendance is what's getting Comcast's attention because I'm sure they're making money regardless, right? Like, real major league situation. Like, the wins and losses don't really matter. It's the attendance that matters. But, like, I'm sick and tired of it, man. Like, I... who Who's interested in this team? They're not interesting. They're not fun to watch. They're easily... They're probably the fifth option in Philadelphia right now. They're probably still fourth because soccer is still kind of like fringe in Philadelphia. No, no disrespect to the Union, who are great. But There's like, a shift happening there, though. Like there's a little bit so of a like, shift. There's definitely people who are paying a lot more attention to the union than the Philadelphia Flyers. And they're absolutely justified there. Cause the union are really fucking good. And the Flyers are really fucking bad and just not fun to watch. Yeah. It's just, I do feel like there's some sort of shift happening there, but um, yeah, I, I mean, very few people, what reason is there to pay attention to the Flyers right now? Unless you're a psycho like us who like, well, more like, Steve, You, I, I think you're actively avoiding watching the games now, which is smart on your part. I have the games on my iPad, typically, and I'm not paying a ton of attention to them. And if I didn't have to, if I, and I say didn't have to do it, like, I don't have to do this podcast, but I, I love doing a podcast, so I'm going to keep doing it. But, like, if I didn't do this podcast... I wouldn't be watching at all. I would be completely tuned out. It would be like the, I think it was the 06 season where they had their previous, like, before this current era, like their worst actual season. And I absolutely tuned out until, like, Carter and Richards are back. Like, I, I kept, you know, I kept aware of the team, but I wasn't watching games actively. And now I have a way to pay attention very passively by just having them on my iPad and watching highlights later and stuff like that. But like, why would you want to spend your time watching this? I hope Comcast listens to these comments and I hope they, they get the takeaway that we're not interested in like seeing old time. Don't get me wrong. 
caveman brain loves a good fight, right? I love a good hit. I like the violence. I just want to see this goddamn club be competitive and win, okay? I want to see them build a smart, fun hockey team with actual speed and talent. Speed and talent. It seems crazy to me that we have to spell out that we want speed and talent on our hockey team. But this is, it's like the two things this club never has. I've said it before. The team is called the Flyers. Get players who are fast as shit. Like have a team full of guys who are really fast. They fly. You're the Flyers. Like it seems so simple to me. Um, it's just, I don't understand. I, I, yeah, it's just, you, you would think the team's name is the bullies, right? You would think they were literally, right. The, they yeah. weren't the Philadelphia Flyers. They were the Broad Street Bullies. That was the official team name. Yeah. And Ke- Kelly said it before the, the Broad Street Bullies. That's the worst thing that happened to this franchise because now they're locked into this mode. It's, it's like the Oakland Raiders, how for years they were set in their old ways and like, it's, it, in a way, I feel like they're still set in their old ways because um, uh, what was the Al Al Davis? What's his son's name? Mark Davis. Mark Davis He's got that. Mark. He Davis finally got is... rid of his bull haircut. His Prince Valiant hair. Oh really? That's yeah. Now I think he's bald now. Oh, I didn't know that. But oh, he, like, oh, you, oh, you should Google that. He is. I'm googling that now. But like, the Flyers are just like they're still stuck in their ways, and it's just. They're not going to win anything until things change, until they have new voices. And they need this offseason. Like, this is another reason I really need a fresh voice in there. Because I don't want them to take any big swings this offseason. I want them to clean house. Like, (laughs) what did we say in the Slack earlier? Anybody over 25 can go, as far as I'm concerned. I really think they need to get rid of as many players on this roster as they can, as many guys who have been here for the past few years, and they need as many, as much new blood as possible, and they need to evaluate what they have, okay? And just give everybody a chance next season, fucking go at it, and then t- just build up some cap space, okay? You don't need to spend to the cap next season. Let's clear no. out as much space as we can, because... A lot of the big names for free agency. I was checking out the free agency list for, for next season. And Dylan Larkin, David Posternock, they already re-signed with the Red Wings and the Bruins, respectively. So there's not really anybody interesting for the Flyers left in free agency this offseason anyway. And between this deep draft and the lack of interesting free agents, this is a perfect opportunity to just hit that reset button. Yeah, and like we've already heard from what um, Chuck Fletcher was saying. Now, granted, we don't know he'll be the GM. Hopefully, he's not. But like Please he no. has even si- he has even said like our goal is to get younger, and our goal for next season is to have two, three, maybe even four young kids come in and play for the Flyers. So like it sounds like they really are taking a build from within type approach for next season, which is like honestly that's objectively a good move because. I don't want them going out and I don't trust them going out to sign free agents. Um, I think they need to bring in kids next season and hope. And he keeps saying like, we want to get younger. We we're one of the youngest teams and wouldn't be shocking if we become the youngest. So um, I think that's good. That's a good sign that they want to get younger and that they want to have a few more kids come up and play next season um, because that's good for the cap. 
And looking at cap friendly right now, like unless they re-sign James Van Riemsdyk, they're going to be they're going to have seven million dollars of extra cap space with him gone. Um, Brendan Lemieux, hopefully they don't re-sign him. They'll have um, uh, one million three hundred fifty thousand available in cap space with him away. Um, and you have to imagine. Oh, Justin Braun. There's another million. Assuming they don't re-sign him. Please don't bring Justin Braun back again, okay? Nice guy, competent defenseman. I never want to see him play another game of Flyers hockey again. And then you have to wonder, like, it it, it feels like some trades are going to happen around the draft. Like, Ivan Provorov, Kevin Hayes. Um, <laughs> Marek was I mean, talking it, about Provorov and Sandheim saying, like, with Sandheim, you know, he's got the better season, and... Uh, He's the bigger name, like, he's basically advocating to trade Sandheim while he's high and Provorov, don't trade Provorov while he's low, but, like, Provorov has been better than Sandheim. Sandheim has not been good. Yeah, but Provorov has been terrible, too. They've both been terrible, but, like, Sandheim But but I think he was saying, like, I think, at least from a national perspective, like, Sandheim seemed better than Provorov. Provorov desperately needs a change of scenery. I, I, yes, sir, I'm sick and tired of him, the team not knows only it. because, oh, the team knows it for sure. And, and like, not only because of the pride night situation, which obviously I've gone on ad nauseum about how we are very different sides on that issue. Not you and I, but uh, Ivan Provorov and us, but also just the comments last year and just his general play has just dropped off so significantly over the past few years that I, he's just, he, he needs a new, he needs to play somewhere else. He's developed this just shitty attitude. Um, over the last couple of years, that didn't exist before that at least w- the public saw. Um, and at this point, it's just like, you know what? Like, and I agree. He needs a new, he needs a change of scenery. I think the Flyers think that he needs a change of scenery. I, he's not going to be a Flyer next season. I will be utterly baffled if he's back next season. Um, and he's still valued across the league. So He's I still think va- he plays a ton a- of minutes and GMs eat yeah. that shit up. And also like, it's not like he hasn't been good before. Like he's had very, very, very good seasons in the past. The last two or three have not been good, but at least there's some, something resembling an explanation for it where he's just been surrounded by idiots in the front office and on the ice. Um, and on a different team where he's like the number three defenseman, like on a second pair, he would be great. He'd be really good. Um, but that's just not with the Flyers. And I feel like teams do see a lot in him still. And I feel like they'd be willing to fork over a lot of assets to get him. Well, you know, hopefully they are. I don't trust Chuck Fletcher to get the maximum assets for him. But, you know, you never know. Uh, now... The other name, so we mentioned Kevin Hayes having some Blue Jackets rumors earlier. Kevin Hayes had a a number of rumors in the past few weeks. So Kevin Hayes is obviously, and he's also not Torts' favorite. So Kevin Hayes is a big name to watch going into this offseason. And then earlier today, we saw Travis Konechny's name get thrown out there for the rumor mill. Yeah, and this is something that Charlie pointed out early on, where he was basically saying, like, listen, if there's ever a time to trade Travis Konechny... Now's the time because he's playing really, really well. And the Flyers, they're not going to be competitive again for several years. So why not trade him now, get a shitload of assets? Because teams would give up a ridiculous amount for TK right now. 
um, get as many assets as possible, and then use those things to acquire talent, whether that's via the draft or even a trade. Like, hopefully, again, hopefully Chuck Fletcher wouldn't be the one executing those trades, but use those assets for something to bring in talent. And, um, you know, it's, it's, that's not a, uh, it's not a novel concept trading TK. I think I I'm very much in favor of it, even though I love TK. I think he's the best player on the team right now, uh, or one of the best players. Um, I think if you want to do this thing, right, you got to move someone you don't want to move and you just got to get assets and start over. You just need to reset. I think TK is a, a great candidate for that. I think he's such a good, like he'd be killer on the second line for a more talented hockey club for sure. And he is, his stock is never going to be higher than it is right now. So he's a very good trade candidate. I would hate to see him go. I love the jerk store, big fan of TK, but if you're going to move guys, you're going to get a fresh start. He's a great candidate for it. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, We'll see what happens with, those two, but I, I do have a feeling that some major things are going to, there, there's going to be a big shakeup this summer. I really think so. I hope there so. has like, to be, I, there simply has to be. I am by no means a fan of Mike Sealski, but he introduced the, the big time culture change uh, phrase a few years back. I would say about a decade ago at this point, it was really being thrown around a lot. The culture change with the, the flyers and there is certainly, this is the time for culture change. This is the time for a new Philadelphia Flyers. They really just have to start fresh because that's the only way you're going to get fans back is by sending a clear message that we are actually changing our ways. We are at, we have learned lessons. We are going to try something new because they, they have to, you have to evolve or die. Fly or die, baby. And they're dying. Yes, they are. And it's it's violent and fiery. It's not great. Not great, Jan. Oh, all right. Well, we're going to wrap it up. But before we go, we had to do a, a micro. Taking it to the beats here. Taking it to the beats. Taking it to the beats. And I wanted to talk about Sam Carcini. Slam and Sammy. We haven't done a Slam and Sammy bit in... Be, we haven't done a Slam and Sammy bit in a minute. And... Sam, well, I think it's, you know, having his stuff behind that paywall at at Mid-Atlantic Hockey immediately, it's taken away a bit from the dunks, you know? But he does have those great TV picks, which are phenomenal. Always funny. Always funny. But the other day, Slam and Sammy, when reporting the JVR trade on Twitter, let me just read this one. JVR to Detroit, per fridge, Flyers play wings Sunday. Per fridge. He meant to say per fridge for Elliot Friedman. And he put, he just put fridge. Like I'm opening the refrigerator. Like he got the tweet on his smart fridge, which I'm sure he doesn't have. And why would I need my fridge to be smart? (laughs) I still like forget that smart fridges exist. And it's like the funniest thing to me when I just like rediscover that they exist. It's an incredibly goofy product. I really only remember they exist because Silicon Valley used it for a pretty good gag. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like, no, it's a goofy ass product. But yeah, Sam Carcini. And the best thing about Sam is he just leaves this shit up, you know? Like, the fact that the Thanos snap tweet about the Bob McKenzie, Wayne Simmons fake news is still there makes me 
so happy. I'm glad that still exists. I'm glad he never deleted it. And he kept this fridge one up and I'm the world is better for it. Thank you, Sam, for your service here. Every time we talk about Elian Friedman, we're calling him Fridge from now on. Fridge. Oh yeah. Per fridge. He's, Big he's the per fridge, fridge from now on. The fridge. William fridge bomb. The refri- William the Elliot Friedman Perry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's what he that is his new birth name. That's his new birth name. There's it's Sam, you know, Sam's an old pro. He knows what's up. He does. He's got those connections. He knows his his birth certificate. <laughs> uh well we've talked enough about the, the Nepo oldies in the building and Slam and Sammy and all that and I I'm fighting something, so I gotta go I gotta call it a night. I gotta get going. But folks, thanks so much for listening. We truly appreciate you all. If you have any feedback for us, the best place is twitter.com.org.edu.ca.musk. Where can people find you on the Twitters, Quigs? So this is amazing timing because right as we're wrapping up, Steve's microphone is acting up and sounding like a robot again. So uh, thank God this is happening now, Steve, instead of the middle of the show. Um, You can find me. At Ryan Quiggs with a Z on Twitter. Let's oh, wow. uh, Steve, leave, leave this part in. Leave this part in. Because oh, I'm leaving it. I'm just going live at this point. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Who gives oh, a yeah. Shit? yeah. Yeah. Good enough. <laughs> if I have to re-record this, I have to re-record this. But who gives a shit? Ah, uh, you can find Quiggs. I say there. leave it in. With the static. That's that's a bold choice, Cotton. Let me tell you. Uh, you can reach Quigs at Ryan Quigs. You can reach me at Flyperbole or at Estebaum if it's for hockey purposes. Make it Flyperbole. <laughs> follow BSH Radio. Follow Broad Street Hockey. Uh, a couple announcements coming up soon, so stay tuned on that front, folks. Oh, wow. And, yeah, I'm exhausted, and I'm going to have to re-record this later anyway. So, until next time, in the words of the great Gene Hart, good night, and good hockey. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Wow, wow. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Support for this episode came from NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Last year, you may have made some smart decisions, and you may have made some not-so-smart decisions, like going all in on that one crypto exchange. The good news is making smart financial decisions is easier than you think. Smart Wallet's Smart Money Podcast has the weekly know-how you need to get ahead. Sean and Sarah, the hosts of Smart Money, break down the latest financial news and give you honest, objective money advice. Subscribe to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.
What is up, Astros fans? This is Jeff Balke and my partner, former Astro Jeff Blum from the Believe in Astros podcast to tell you baseball is back and we've got your world champion Houston Astros covered. Every week we go inside the clubhouse, break down the games, discuss the players and give you everything you need to know about the Houston Astros baseball organization with special guests and a few surprises all summer and into the postseason. So tune in to the Believe in Astros podcast. That's B-L-E-A-V on Apple. Spotify, YouTube, and everywhere you get your podcasts, go Astros.